BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Professional welder Shayna Ford used VR training developed by ForgeFX to hone her skills as a welder. The more time that you spend practicing it, that's what separates a good welder from a great welder. VR training can help students like Shayna repeatedly practice specific skills. Virtual reality definitely helps because the more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Explore more stories like Shayna's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the Friend of a Friend podcast. It's your host, Olivia Perez. In just six years, Josh Zad has built a beverage empire as the founder of LA's cult favorite coffee shop, Alfred Coffee, Alfred Tea Room, and Calidad Beer. In 2013, he opened his first Alfred Coffee location with its social media-friendly catchphrase, but first, coffee, on the idyllic Melrose Place. Since then, Zad has successfully scaled to 16 locations across the U.S. and Japan and has recently expanded his beverage empire with a shift to his Mexican-style beer concept, Calidad Beer. Less than one year after launch, Calidad can be found in over 900 locations across Southern California, from Whole Foods to Disneyland. In this episode, Josh tells us the secret to building a brand-first business, how to overcome indecision, and his next business venture that will have people lining up in West Hollywood yet again. Here's my friend, Josh Zad. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the show. I am so excited to be here today. I hope you're all having a nice cup of morning coffee because I am, and it happens to be from Alfred and the founder of Alfred's here today, Josh Said. Hello. Thanks for having me on. Of course. So excited. So tell us where you're from and where you live now. I am born and raised in Los Angeles, which is a very rare thing these days. Very. Yeah, it's crazy. And kind of traveled about, went to college on the East Coast, then did a little stint in Dallas, Texas for about three years. And about 10 years ago, settled back in Los Angeles and planning on staying here. For life. Probably forever. Yeah. Yeah. I get that. I feel like people who leave LA, they like go get a taste and then they realize, okay, I did it. Just dip my toes in the water. and Yeah. It's really the best. But so you left LA because you went to college. Yes. Went to Yale. Went to Yale. And UCLA. Came back, went to UCLA for business school because I really wasn't ready to let go of school. I needed some more. Needed to enjoy it a little bit. Worked for a couple of years in LA. Uh, after business school and decided, you know what, here's my chance to move. Not a lot of baggage, just get up and moved out to Dallas for a few years, spread my wings creatively, worked for an interior designer out there, started a blog through parties, had fun, and had enough of that, moved back to LA. So it's kind of aimed my whole life, like you said, towards real estate. That was where everything was guided. So even when I was in school, it was like, this is fun, but see you in real estate. That's kind of the feeling that I had. And just decided one day I got to break free and do something different. So did a really, you know, extreme measure of that, which was just move to Texas on a whim. But God bless Texas. That was fun. I've never been. Dying to go. It's an amazing place. Kind people, pretty sophisticated in Dallas. So remnants of L.A. So I wasn't that much of a fish out of water, you know. It comes down to the the environment and the people there. Yeah. It it was a, a welcome change from L.A. 
That's amazing. Also, also just a huge entrepreneurial boom there. I feel like there's so many amazing businesses that have moved over yeah. there. Yeah, a lot of movers and shakers there. Yeah, it was pretty wild. Great times. So haven't been back in a while, but. What did you study when you were in college? I studied economics. Okay. Yeah, which was kind of regarded as the football major because it required no final project or no final essay, which was fun. But it was just what resonated with me the most. Right. Um, so studied economics and, you know, back to the conversation about it, it really fit in with, with real estate. I mean, it's just, it's math, it's understanding behaviors and pretty cut and dry. So that's kind of what I've always enjoyed. I hated college so much while I was there that I graduated in three years because most of my friends at the time had either stayed in LA for school or had gone close by, like, let's say Arizona was like really, really popular at the time. So they kind of maintained their same social circle. I was freezing or melting, depending on time of year on the East Coast and kind of all alone and isolated. So, you know, I spent my days just thinking about when I go back to LA, visit my friends, major FOMO. Before FOMO was a thing, I had it. I just wanted to be home with my friends. So graduated early. This is like pre-social media too. Pre-social media. Email was was just coming along then. That was great. Um, <laughs> so I moved back to LA and then all of a sudden I missed college. So I'm like, oh God, I started working in finance at a hedge fund by the name of Kane Anderson. And it was just like, why am I here? My friends are now seniors in college, having the best time. So kind of went the other way around where I didn't really enjoy college. And afterwards I was like, I need more college. So after a couple of years of working in finance, decided to go back to school, UCLA. My whole life I grew up hanging around the UCLA campus, um, playing arcades there, doing summer camp, big UCLA sports fan. So it was kind of natural and, and fitting that I went full circle and finally got to attend, which was awesome. Yeah, that's cool. Also, little fun fact, Josh and I went to the same high school, that's but fine. not during the same time. Not during the same time, but Buckley <laughs> High School. What do you know about that? 56 people in my class, small school. Small um, school. Amazing place. I think I had 68 people in my class. Yeah, it's, it's pretty magical. So you're working for your family business, doing real estate. You have a massive portfolio on Melrose Place. Where did the idea for Alfred start? So I kind of brushed up with the whole creative part of my brain in Dallas, working for an amazing interior designer by the name of Laura Hunt, who was AD 100 designer at the time. And that kind of stuck with me. Working in real estate, we had the opportunity to work with a lot of high-end retail clients, which was great. We had, at the time, just done deals with, with let's say, Rag & Bone, Theory, Marc Jacobs. So part of the offering was, you know, we would help build the stores for them, design the stores for them. So that was really, really exciting. And we got to brush up against these really well-known high-end retailers at the time. Kind of put that aside, saw a real opportunity on Melrose Place to create some more community and create a gathering place in the midst of all these high-end retailers. Found a space. It was predominantly underground. So it was unlike anything you'd seen in Los Angeles. It was kind of European, kind of like you're in London. It's like a bunker with concrete walls yeah. under. You know, I had been wanting to design something, create a community space. It seemed like the perfect opportunity. And I convinced myself and convinced the family, you know what? See you guys in a little bit. I got to get this monkey off my back. And create a cafe. And initially it was going to be more of a restaurant, maybe even a bar. And then as I realized that I kind of want my quality of life to stay pretty consistent and pretty great, a coffee shop, you get to close at 7 p.m., get to be home by 8. Luxury life. Luxury life. <laughs> Not trying to be at a, my own bar till 3 a.m. Totally. Um, also so much liability. So much liability, which sounds great also. But at the same time, I thought, 
you know, coffee was coffee was taken off at the time, third wave coffee especially. Can you quickly, before we continue, break down the different waves of coffee? Because I feel like I know what third wave coffee is, but a lot of people, a lot of listeners might not. First wave coffee, just like instant coffee, Folgers, just coffee for caffeine. No experience, no pleasure. It's just what you do. Um, second wave coffee, it's more mass market opportunity with, with coffee houses like Starbucks and Pete's, more commoditized. And the experience is a little bit more bundled and just mass exploration. And then third wave coffee would be much more specialty, a relationship with the farms, um, a story behind the beans, smaller, more focused cafes. So you think of like Intelligentsia, when I opened about seven years ago, was like the big name over there in that realm. Stumptown had done a lot in the Pacific Northwest, more recently like a Blue Bottle or Verve and Alfred, of course, third wave coffee, more experience driven, more relationship driven with the farms and much more attention to the craft of the coffee itself not just, here's a drink, get out of here. And that was booming at the time. It was booming at the time, but funny enough, as we sit here seven years later, coffee is still booming, third wave coffee. Ironically, at the time, I thought, you know what, like this third wave coffee thing is like kind of at its end. Mm -hmm. And like, I'm going to be holding the bag here, like in in the Ponzi scheme, not Ponzi scheme, like the pyramid of like, oh my God, I'm the last third wave coffee shop and no one's going to be interested in this anymore. And here I am opening a coffee shop in 2013. And of course, now you look at it and it's still just burgeoning industry, 100%. new coffee shop opening in LA, you know. Every couple, five seconds. Every five seconds. Yeah. Huh. Another <laughs> one just opened. There you go. <laughs> I actually, every single person that I have on this podcast had this one moment where they were comfortable in their surroundings, had a structured job, whether it was working for their family business or working for a corporate business and kind of had this like aha moment. Okay, I'm ready. Let's fly the coop. What was yeah. yours and how did you tackle it? Because I'm sure it can be terrifying. Yeah. So once I started thinking about the cafe, you know, I started thinking about the name, the concept, all these things were coming to me. It got these like butterflies in my stomach that I still get right now when I think of a new location or when I'm, you know, designing a room in my house, whatever. I, I know that's that passion. It's like an anxiety. It's it's painful. It's like, it's got to be perfect. So that was a, a really uneasy feeling that I had never had before. And I'm really good at convincing myself. I'm really good at making myself not nervous and calming myself down and telling myself whatever I need to hear to make things happen. And at that point, it was like, listen, you're in real estate. Part of the business is, you know, we have a lot of tenants that are very successful. We have a lot of tenants that don't do so well. So when they don't do so well, they find somebody, they sell the business, and they 99% of the time profit on just selling the business, right? Especially if it's a restaurant. So I'm like, all right, I'm going to do this. I think I have great style. I think I have a lot to bring to the table. And Josh, don't worry. Worst case, doesn't survive, you'll find someone else to run the business, but at least I will have learned the ins and outs of drawing the plans, getting the permitting done, designing a space, and I'll learn from it and move on, you know? So with that in the back of my mind, I was like, you know what, let's do this and let me just open this cafe, which I say it right now really quickly, but it was like a year of just dragging along until we opened because it was very difficult and very stressful. And as you learn when you're starting a business and if you're like me, you're yapping about it and very excited, Everyone has an opinion and those opinions, if you're not strong headed enough, or if you're just new to that business can sway you heavily. So I would actually love for you to unpack that a little bit, because I do think that there is this idea that when you're starting a business, it's like resources, ask as many people as you can hear their stories, hear their lessons. But it's like, for me, I'm the kind of person that I almost need to have blinders on. 
all those opinions, I unfortunately am easily swayed. So I can like hear someone tell me their experience and I think that that's going to be my own. Right. I'm like a blinders on person. Yeah. What do you think? Well, being so new to that space, there really weren't many resources. So I had a couple of family friends that had cafes, a few people that I knew that were in the restaurant business in general. So it was very natural for me to be like, all right, let me ask these people how to do it. You know, I went around, asked questions. Instead of getting answers, I created more questions for myself. But I was trying to be really resourceful. I mean, it's this the school of thinking, right? It's like, it's like reach out to as many people as you can. Let's figure it out. I realized I was getting much more stressed out than than I was really learning. It's a um, lot of voices. A lot of voices, a lot of opinions. Maybe it works for them. Maybe they were not even open a year later. You don't know. It's just you can't see into the future. So what kind of happened for me was, you know, I was getting a lot of lists. I would go like to New York and like, you got to check out these five cafes. I would go check out the cafes and I'd be like, oh God. Yeah. Well, totally they, different ecosystem. Where do, well, yeah. yeah, but where do they get the cups from? These stir straws. Oh my God, these custom things that they have, these drink specials. And I would get really overwhelmed. So like you mentioned right now, I reverted to like blinders on and I was like, all right, I just got to trust my instinct because I'm getting a little too overwhelmed with like the little details. Like where do I hire from? Where do I get paper cups from? These little simple things that now are just like, obviously you just call and you figure it out or you published on Craigslist or a hundred other great websites. So I just started to, you know, tell myself, I'm just going to trust my own instinct and I'm not going to stress out about all these little details. And you know what? I'm not going to ask that many people because at some point I realized I can probably do it better myself. And I had no choice because that's the way I operated. It was just, just doing it myself anyways. I had no partner. So I just wanted to just handle it and move much faster, trusting myself. Learning to trust your own opinion to me is an impossible feat. Impossible feat. It's an impossible feat. Yeah, I struggle, I struggle with it all the time questioning myself. But obviously I'm getting much better at it. And at the end of the day, the system that I built is pretty great. So just look back at that, have confidence in myself and move forward. And, you know, of course, ask questions along the way, but take them with a grain of salt because at the end of the day, people can give you opinions, but it's got to be something that you're comfortable with and you got to live with it because they move on from it. So. It's also your business. It's also my business. So You're the one at the end of the day, after all the advice and all the questions, it's going to be you and the way you run it. Exactly. Back to basically starting from ground zero. I've always admired you because I knew that you came from a real estate background, but you went into something that you didn't really have that much experience in. Was there a specific tool that you used that time besides obviously asking around to gain knowledge of an unknown industry? Yeah. So I'm still not necessarily a coffee person. That's so crazy. To yeah, me. And, I, and I really struggle what with that. What are you that drinking right on. now? Uh, just a drip coffee with oat milk. Okay, that's mm. your coffee person. I love coffee, but you can't ask me about coffee. It was really difficult for me because we're opening this cafe, right? And I had scheduled all these classes to learn how to make espresso. And we tapped Stumptown early on. And one of the great things about Stumptown, they pulled me aside and they say, listen, Josh, like we'll help you with the coffee stuff. You just figure out hiring great people with great attitudes. We will teach them how to make coffee. You don't necessarily want lifelong baristas, right? And that was a very strange thing because you want that guy who's been a barista for 20 years, who knows the show and knows everybody's name when they come in. But what they told me was, you know, hire people from retail even, just great personalities. You focus on customer service, we'll teach them coffee. You can't teach coffee people necessarily how to have great personalities or you can't teach personality. You can't teach customer service either, I think. You can't teach customer service, but you can teach coffee, right? So 
started hiring with that ethos. And for me personally, like not being a coffee person was a very difficult thing. My staff in the beginning was a little like hesitant and they, they're like, this guy is opening a cafe and you can't even make coffee. I, I never, by the way, got to like that class to, to learn how to make the coffee. So what was interesting though was as Alfred was kind of going along, I realized, you know what? I'm not that behind the bar person. I'm the front of the bar person, right? I'm, I'm the experience. So whereas a lot of these third wave coffee shops were focused on the craft of the coffee and where the beans come from and rotating blends and the sources and you know the relationship with the farmers, I had Stumptown to lean on for that. And I focused on the experience when you walk in, right? The music, what you see, the way you're greeted at the, at the register, all these fun little elements that were kind of left behind in a lot of these third wave coffee shops that were so focused on the coffee itself. And then you see like, you know, a sparse design and just a couple of people working there and it's, they could talk to you about coffee all day long but kind of stopped there. So I wanted to make a more full full experience for my customers. What went into the hiring process since you didn't have that experience? Interesting. So I put some ads out there. We got nine people that came in for interviews, right? It was just like whoever comes in for an interview is getting a job basically. Totally. But I couldn't <laughs> let them know that. You know, like, what's your experience? What's your background? Do you have any experience with coffee? They're like, no. I'm like, check, perfect. You know, whatever they said, I was like, it's great. So I ended up hiring actually eight of those nine people. And the one person I did not hire, I thought he was too timid. It was just really quiet in his voice. And I'm like, oh, this guy's not going to work here because we want personality. Boom. And ironically enough, about a week later after we had opened, we were so busy and I was desperate for more people to work there because I was working double shifts myself and I just needed some more staff. And I went into this little cafe and I saw that guy I didn't hire. One man show running it, like making coffee, making tea, like, you know, flipping the bottle of the syrup in the air, like insane. And I'm like, how come you weren't like this in the interview? He's like, I know, I'm just, I've been talking to my fiance and she says I need to be a little more like aggressive and like interviewing. I was a little timid that day. I'm like, well, do you want to still work for me? You're hired. And he ended up being like my best barista ever. I hired him anyways. Wow. But I saw him in his own element, like running the show solo. And he was just a superstar. So Did you know that he worked at that cafe? Or I just- had no idea. I went next door to like a little vintage store to pick up some trinkets for Alfred because we were built heavily on trinkets at the time. And yeah, I saw him in there and I was like, what are you doing here? And you are amazing. Please come work for me. Very cool. Um, So in the beginning, it was really slim pickings because we had no name. Cafe on Melrose Place looking to hire baristas. Yeah. And whatever we got, but we got really, really great people. Again, personality was, was key. So once I saw this guy's personality and work ethic shine through, we brought him on board and it was just... We still built on the, those principles to this day. It's just we want really great people, yeah. great, great candidates. So, If you follow me on Instagram, you know that I'm one of Uniqlo's biggest fans in the world and that I've been working with them to promote a very special app that was just released called Style Hint. I had the unique pleasure to work with the Style Hint team, Fast Retailing, and Uniqlo USA to celebrate the launch of the platform here in the U.S. Powered by Google Cloud Platform and the latest in visual recognition technology, Style Hint helps you find the styles you love with a simple search. Instantly shop these items and share your favorite outfits with the world. I have loved being able to share my style and be inspired by other users from around the world as well. With the winter season in full force, I'm using Style Hint to keep my styling inspiration fresh, even with items I already own, and share some of my favorite tips with you in a new way. Here's a bonus. Open up stylehint.com backslash Olivia on your smartphone browser and download it now to get $3 off on your next Uniqlo purchase in stores in the U.S. where available. Back to the show. Bouncing off the idea that you didn't really have a name to begin with, you know, coffee is a staple in LA, but especially like the coffee shop, LA and New York particularly. But 
you know, it's not so much of an innovative idea at the time. What was your sales pitch that were like, okay, this is different. Like I'll pay attention to this. Yeah. So for that, I had to borrow a little bit into the real estate side of things. And also I had spent a lot of time in, in Portland at the time. Let me talk about the Portland thing first. You go into these cafes or like these little marketplaces in Portland and it's a collection of other great brands and best in class, you know, salt makers and toffee makers you'd see in these other cafes in Portland, you know? So they're representing other brands that are like-minded, that are small batch, that are cool, artisanal, all that stuff. That was one thing I had in mind. And the other was, on the real estate side of stuff, it's like, we have these great people that we work with over the years, right? Like Rag and Bone, great relationship with them. So I approached them, I said, you know what? I'm opening a cafe down the street. Can you please outfit my staff in Rag and Bone? And they're like, what are you talking about? I'm like, it would be amazing, just like jeans, you know, flannel shirts, all this stuff. We opened in January, so it's kind of cold. They signed on. At the register, I had to sign all our outfits provided by Rag and Bone. I had, you know, a great chocolate maker like Compartis from, from Brentwood in there. I had my pastries from Farm Shop in Brentwood. I had some great Portland uh, people like Jacobson Salt. And, you know, I had a Pinkleton's toffee popcorn. I don't know, all this fun stuff. But really relied on these, these people that had some kind of brand recognition and really did a great job what they did to kind of boost my brand up. You know, I think the first hit of press we got was the Huffington Post. And it was like, at this cafe in West Hollywood, the baristas wear rag and bone. It's a good little- That was a good bit. Bit that kind of set the yeah. tone for the cafe. And it's like, all right, already they're talking about something else. And they're associating us with rag and bone, which was really hot brand at the time. Stumptown from Portland, people that knew that we had Stumptown and knew what Stumptown was were like, oh my God, this, this cafe has Stumptown. So we had all these little teeth on the on the business that like, if one of them caught you, it would bring you in. Right. And then you would hopefully enjoy the whole offering. So for me, it was a lot about borrowing and using these other people to kind of boost my name up and prop my, prop my brand up from day one. Were you always interested in design when you were younger? I know you worked for a designer, but. Yeah, I mean, I, I was always very, when I was much younger, I was very creative. Yeah. I got a lot of credit from my teachers for being creative back when you figure they probably just gave everybody credit for everything. But right. I double checked my mom and she's like, you were actually very creative. So I'll take credit for that now. A lot of what I learned about design was uh, working for Laura Hunt in, in Dallas. And it's a lot of it is confidence, right? I always use this example, right? It's, let's say you're, you're with a contractor and there's like a painter there and they're like, what color do you want this wall to be? You know, whatever. It's a, use this as an example. And it's like, you can be like, hmm, I don't know. Let me take a picture of this color, send it to my family group chat. What color should I do? One, two, or three, this and that. Or you can just be like, let's make this wall red. And then all of a sudden you have the respect, like the contractor, the paint, everyone's just like, all right, this guy knows what he's doing. The confidence is very important. Instead of dilly-dallying and you can always change your mind later, but when you're designing, people kind of breathe off that confidence, especially like, you know, with like customers too. So it's like, I make a lot of decisions and it's like, trust my instinct. I've done it before. I learned in the last location, like this was okay. I'm going to do it better here. It permeates through the space. So we try to make things, spaces that are very unique, that draw on or are a direct antithesis to the locations that are around them, depending if it's a cafe or like retail. The latest location we did in, in Palisades Village, we opened over the summer. We have a lot of great high-end retailers around us. We wanted something that was like very elevated and distinct. I zeroed in on a color, burnt orange, and then kind of built the whole space around that theme of that color driving the aesthetic and then brought in some Alfred elements that we have in all our locations. But you know, when I'm having these conversations, just be strong, decide already, and be confident and go from there. Do you have like a pie chart, percentage of importance, location, product design? Well, you don't want to put product last because that's messed up. So I'd say location's number one and then product design together second. This is coffee and I have a real estate background. A lot of Alfred 
Alfred's success and Alfred's influence has to do with the locations that we choose. So I want to go in neighborhoods that are busy, that have action, that already have coffee. If there's a Starbucks nearby, fantastic. If there's a Starbucks and a coffee bean nearby, even better. Because people are used to going there for their daily habit. And I figure I can convince some of the people to switch over because we do have a better product. We do have a better offering. I can't drink Starbucks anymore because of you. It's, I used to drink Starbucks still even after I opened Alfred, and I can't do it anymore. I can't either. even I can't even swallow I know, it. It's, it's, it's pretty crazy. I'm on the same boat. But location is very important. But of course, you're going to say location, rent, so expensive. We figured out is we have a model that is very scaled down in size in some locations, right? So we have Palisades about 650 square feet, Brentwood as well. So we're Brentwood, we're in the San Vicente and Montana right at the corner, but we have a tiny space because the rent is absurd. So I've kind of figured that out. Larger places where I can you know, spread my wings a little bit more and get a better rate, that's great also. But you have to have locations, in my opinion. Alfred has to be on, on large thoroughfares. People can see them. It acts as a billboard as well, like our Beverly Hills location is everyone drives by like five times a day. It's perfect for me. So... Location is critical, and that comes back to the real estate element. But of course, product design. You have to have a consistent product. It's got to be great. It's got to be great every time. Hit them with new specials. You have to always be innovating. And design, of course, is part of the Alfred mantra from day one. So we try to create unique experiences, but little elements in there that let you know that it's Alfred no matter what. So, Also known as the insane amount of Alfred coffees I see on my Instagram. It's, yes, there's a lot in there. We've really embraced obviously social media from day one, but I think the things that we do to keep it fresh from the sleeve collaborations, the drink specials, to, you know, always trying to open new locations, cater to our customers' needs. Like, you know, if you want a dash of oat or you want a gulp of oat in there, we just give it to you now. No upcharging anymore in that regard. But really things that are like, that our customers want and try to address that and make them happy because again, they come every day if they do come. So it's a very unique interaction you have with regards to the customers as opposed to other kinds of restaurants or bars and such because it's yeah. it's really a daily habit. So making the customer happy, especially in this highly competitive environment, which you said new cafes opening all the time, is critical. I'd love to talk a little bit about just like the social media and even like the sleeve collaborations. Where yeah. did the initial idea come from? So when we first launched Alfred, the whole concept was, all right, there's this mythical guy named Alfred. You think of Alfred, you think of the butler and Batman, you think of mustaches, <laughs> Mustaches seven years ago were really cool. You know, now it's like, oh, mustache, like on a coffee sleeve. But at the time, mustaches were really cool. So I figured, you know what? I put these, I'll print my own custom sleeves. Uh, and if you ever seen like, you know, the valet tickets you get and they have like a movie advertising on them. I used to property manage a parking lot and it was like, they used to send you these free tickets. And it's like this movie on there, this HBO show. And I was like, oh, interesting. So there's an opportunity there. I set that aside, but I just wanted to do something cool. So like every time you get your coffee, you get a different image on there. And printing the cups was too expensive at the time because the minimums are too high. So I said, you know what, coffee sleeves would be cool. So we did put four different mustaches on the sleeves, sent them out, and people were like collecting the sleeves or taking photos of them. So at the same time we opened, Instagram was really kind of taking off, social media. So everyone was sharing everything, still kind of sharing everything. But we had the different coffee sleeves and people were like taking a picture and hashtag Alfred Coffee and everything was fantastic and we're loving that. By the time we opened our second location, almost two years after the first one, our second location was sandwiched between Kelly Wurstler's office and her showroom on Melrose. So one of her employees was like, hey, Kelly wants to design sleeves for you. And I'm like, this is the chance. Yeah. Because having her design it would liberate these sleeves to be something more than just us designing it. would be outside a superstar designing it. It would really allow me 
to use name to kind of get other people to start getting involved in this, you know? So it would set it free. So she designed these amazing sleeves. Went a little overboard. You had to calm it down because the plates and stuff. There's a lot of restrictions with these sleeves because they're pretty much done old school. She did the design and it took off and it was pretty amazing. And from there, I started reaching out to other brands like Lululemon, Claire V, local brands, large brands, Bumble. We did a couple times with them. Pretty exciting. And then it became this thing for Alfred where uh, every month we debut a new sleeve partner. We keep it simple in that there's one sleeve partner. And around that, we build things like murals, drink specials and such, but we don't try to get too schizophrenic and do too much. So you're on the sleeves at all the locations. And it's been really great for us. Obviously, we get to work with cool brands. We really get to keep it fresh for our customers. They're excited to see what we come up with. And I'm happy to say in my new office, in our new office, we're debuting a huge sleeve wall with all the collaborations. Oh, that's so cool. It's like a museum. And then the first four sleeves are going to be like in a little plexiglass box in the front. That's awesome. Yeah, it's going to be like the Gagosian for, I love that. for coffee sleeves. It's going to be amazing. You guys have Marriage Story right now, right? Well, Marriage We've Story was it. December. December. Right yeah. now we're Freeform. That's insane. Network. Yeah. That these big corporations are coming to you guys to promote. Yeah. It's getting a little too insane. But like, I think by next week, we'll probably have all of 2020 filled out. Insane. Do you so, find yourself going to partners or it's more incoming? We've been really blessed that it's been more incoming. It's awesome. Uh, we have a lot of repeat partnerships now too. I thought the most original one was CBS for the Emmy voting, like for your consideration. Three years ago, they had a marketing team. Marketing team pitched CBS on like 25 ideas and they wanted the coffee sleeves because they figured that between the Alfred locations and the Emmy voters that were actually frequenting Alfred, like this was the best way to capture their attention on these coffee sleeves, which is a pretty novel idea instead of putting up a billboard or like on back yeah. of Variety Magazine was advertising and the voters daily coffee. And they've been doing it now for, this will be their fourth year doing the coffee sleeves with us, which is- Very cool. It's a good little test case of how, you know, our locations and our customer and our focus on, on our craft has kind of fit in with, with these advertising opportunities, so. So now you're seven years in, you have 16 locations, right? 15. We had a pop-up in Japan that was there for four months. So Okay, so 15 yeah, and a half. 15 and a half. But it's really interesting to see, I think now we see so many businesses that grow and they're amazing and they scale, but a lot of them don't scale well. What has been your biggest key to scaling well and fast? For us, it's definitely been all about taking our time. You know, you see a lot of businesses, or I, I see in, in the coffee space, cafe businesses that just explode. You're like, damn, I'm jealous. Like, they went to like 100 locations in three years. You know, there's luck in coffee in China, which is like 3,000 in two years. And you're like, I'm a real loser because I'm opening 3,000 in two years. For us, it's always been, again, I have no, this is my first foray into the food and beverage business. So everything, our team, uh, our infrastructure is built from scratch. We had no consultants come in and be like, this is the way Starbucks does it. Like we had some Starbucks employees that work for us and like, what about this idea? Just minor tweaks, but no overhaul ever. So we've really built... Alfred in, I think, in my complexion, in my upper management's complexion, this is a, a, a work in progress. Between the first and the second location, it was two years. But what's happened now that you say, you know, we have 15 locations now, from the beginning until now, it's we're still getting better at every location, right? Efficiency, the build-out model, the design is getting tweaked to be, again, more efficient, and we're developing our style of the Alfred way. And as we get bigger and bigger, I think for us, it's you know, we're definitely learning a lot. And I feel like we're at like 90, 95% almost of what I would like Alfred to look like forever. But if you asked me three years ago, like, let's take that Alfred and let's 
grow that to a few hundred, those few hundred would be running it back right now because there's so many things that we've learned along the way and customer behaviors and such. And our menu offering, right? So we have the coffee concept and the tea concept, but I think the future of Alfred is a combined concept. Why do they have to compete? Right. Why does it have to create the confusion of like, oh, the tea shop, the coffee shop, let's just make one Alfred. So these are the things that we're learning and really growing. I'm curious about this. Is there something about customer behavior that you've learned along the way that surprised you the most? Yes. We have like some formula. There's like 50,000 different latte combinations or, or drink combinations you can order. But we joke that there's like customer interaction combinations that you can get. You just never know. Anything you can ever imagine, we've seen. There's questions, there's requests, There's it's very interesting. So I guess the answer is the customer behavior is, is always evolving. There is no way to kind of get a grip on it because you're always new things that come up that need to be addressed and really cause us to tell ourselves like, wow, like this is for the most part, like really legitimate things we never thought of. So my example earlier, it's like you want to dash or we used to measure like a finger length of milk or Two fingers or more is, you know, upcharge. Just these things just kind of get rid of them, make the customer happy, and then it makes our staff happy. They don't have to, like, worry about nitpicking and, and getting in these little details with people. You know, it's definitely evolving. You know, oat milk is another example. No one in LA had oat milk. No one. Not, not, with, yeah, I remember. not at the time. Yeah. And then a couple of people had suggested it to us. We looked into it. We brought it in, like, on a, not a whim, but... It was a calculated whim. Kind of took off. And you ask the Oatly people right now, and it's like Alfred was the first first cafe to kind of adopt it in Los Angeles. But again, customers asked for it. We brought it in. A lot of these other third-wave coffee shops that start at the same time as us are like very hesitant to change. You know, it's like, this is the way we do it. This is the way you're going to enjoy coffee, which was something that I had been struggling with at the time when I was opening Alfred. I'm like, wow, these guys are like big names. And like, you know, they don't offer half and half or they don't offer almond milk at the time or whatever it was, you know, you can't do an iced cappuccino. So we're like, all right, customers are asking for iced cappuccinos. Do we stand strong on that one? Or do we <laughs> this just, is me, by the way. Or yeah, or do you just give I them an iced cappuccino? F- like, what's the big deal? Like, this, I get it's in not- a fight with baristas all the time because they're like, we won't do an iced cappuccino. And foam. I'm like, I'm like, dude, just put it to put ice in a glass and I'll do it. Like, I know. I know. So, I think it's on principle. If you're like a true barista, you're going to be like, no. Exactly. So Alfred was always, again, built on like, Let's just put the customer first. Let's do what they want. Like, what's the big idea behind cappuccino over ice? Like, we'll do it. So, it, like, coffee is also deeply personal. Like, it's part of people's routine every morning. It's the way they start their day. Yeah, you don't want them storming out and Mm-mm. going to Alfred, do you? But yeah, there's a lot of these great examples, and it's just just doing it our way. And we are not the hardcore third wave coffee shop. We're much more embracing, design driven, customer driven. It's really helped us make our mark. There's other great coffee companies that do it the other way that I admire a lot of them. But it's for us, it's it's really been about doing it our way and figuring out what that way is. And like I say right now, seven years later, we've gotten pretty good at that. And, you know, as we, we gear up for a larger, quicker expansion, I'm much more comfortable with the complexion of the business right now than I was years ago, which thank God, at least we're getting better in tweaking yeah. and evolving. You've been using the word embrace a lot, which I really like, just from like a business perspective. Do you think that it's been like crucial to you to just be okay with change as a business owner? I love change. Yeah. My wife jokes that I'm always 
tweaking and touching the cafes. Oh, it's the, if you guys follow things. her on Instagram, it's the best thing ever. Yeah. It's Josh fixing things that aren't really there, but it's the best thing yeah, ever. Yeah, she always catches <laughs> me, but but it's I'm always remodeling like, oh, I hate these tables and chairs or, you know, they don't fit our vibe or you know, I'm going to move them to this cafe, bring the ones from here over there. I'm going to repaint this. And it's, I think what really drives a lot of success for Starbucks is that they're always updating their cafes right? I'm sure everyone's seen a Starbucks has been closed like in like middle of the night, they've done remodels. Like they're always refreshing. Whereas a lot of other coffee shops that have been around for 20 years, like you see a lot of these coffee beans that are kind of closing and going out of business. And you'll see the for lease sign, you look inside, you're like, that's the same design they had probably like in 1985. It's a principle of ours to kind of always keep the locations exciting, better. And as we learn on the new locations, what drives more traffic or what's necessary, let's say Postmates right now, it's huge delivery. So it's like installing, you know, pickup shelves for Postmates and, and making it so it doesn't mess up the flow with the customers that are in the store, with the people that are picking up their own orders. That's or they huge have. right now. I think so, a lot of restaurants are not going into it with the same mentality you are. And I do have to commend you for a second and say that your delivery is phenomenal. Thank like you. I get hot burritos all the time. Even though I could, I could walk maybe 10 minutes and pick it up myself, but you know. My life's goal is to have that Postmates delivery window, 25 to 30 minutes maximum when you look it up. It usually is. Yes. And to never have it off. If it's offline, I go bananas. But I understand because they're busy. But for me, just get the efficiency there and get the number of people right. So we can always have that element taken care of as well. Coffee delivery is a crazy thing. So yeah, if you are going to step step outside of the box and get your coffee ordered, you should have a great experience and it should be quick, my opinion. I definitely don't order coffee from anywhere else. Do you think that the coffee delivery business is going to boom? Yes. Or do you think it's something specific to people who love going to Alfred and are cult, like fan um, favorites? I, I think it goes both ways. You know, not, not always do you have the luxury of like kind of going to your cafe and, and visiting and parking and taking that time. But if you do decide to order it, it should be a great experience, just the same way you have that experience when you walk into the cafe, right? Like no melted ice, not a cold burrito, not soggy. So what can we do to make that experience mimic as close as possible to the cafe in a lot of ways? So we put a lot of time into that. We do a lot of training for Postmates and it's, again, designing the new stores to kind of be more efficient with Postmates or whatever delivery service in mind. So that's important for us. So again, seven years ago till now, very different. So we've kind of had to refresh a lot of the the older locations to accommodate for that. Totally. Do you plan to expand more out of California? You have a location in Austin in the Line Hotel. Yeah. Our focus is, is definitely continue here in Southern California. There's a lot of great markets we could expand to, a lot of great opportunity. Again, the beauty of coffee is that it's hyper local. The beauty of Los Angeles is that there are a ton of markets that Alfred, I think, can do very well in. So we can continue opening in different neighborhoods across LA, go south a little bit, maybe even up north in California. And I really want to become synonymous, more synonymous with the LA coffee scene. And I think we have a lot of work to do in LA before we start venturing out again, because it's a big market and coffee is hyper local. You know, we have a couple of locations that are very close to each other and they both do well because some streets you just don't cross in LA. If you're on one side of them, so. You've told me absolutely no New York. New York is a different animal. Completely. There's no absolutely no's in this world. No no's, no impossibles. But I'm very comfortable with the fact that we are an LA brand. Yeah. And that we have a lot of damage we can do continuously in LA. New York will make it one day. Yeah. You know, it's, I think we do really well there. But right now, our team is small and mighty and has a lot of unfinished business here. And you've expanded to Japan, which is insane. Insane. Best place ever. 
to even like tackle that challenge of going one international, taking your business internationally, but also to a place that's pretty historically renowned for its tea rooms. What was the thought process behind that move? Yes. I'm very protective over the Alfred brand. The coffee brand is my baby. We get a lot of great requests for international expansion. The litmus test of my trust is very difficult because I built this brand not to, again, open 3,000 in two years and just let whoever run it and franchise it and get rid of it in that regard. It's been a ways to build a really serious business with a lot of values that is consistent from location to location. So we had opened the the tea shop uh, in May of 2016 on Melrose Place. It was a one-off tea concept. The idea was we do a lot of matcha sales in the coffee shops. We do a lot of hot tea, iced tea, you know, milk tea and boba was, has always been really booming in in Southern California. I thought if we put, take the same care of the Alfred coffee shops and put it into the tea shop, make everything from scratch, do a great offering of, of fine teas, put the same level of care and attention into it. We can create this amazing tea concept. It was supposed to just be one, one off across the street from the original Alfred coffee location, Alfred tea room, really, really like a little crown jewel of the Alfred brand. And then we got interest from a couple of Japanese parties, specifically for the tea room. This is about three or four months after opening, which was funny for me because not only am I obsessed with Japan, I've spent a little bit of time there in the culture, but it's also funny because here's an LA tea shop that's been open for a few months. Here's Japan, the home of tea. What do they want to do with this LA tea shop? Engaged in conversations with both the groups, really just to get a feel of trust and if they'd be able to carry the proverbial Torch. We made a deal with amazing partners out there and we opened two on the same day, Halloween last year, which was pretty crazy. In the Japanese way, of course, let's make it doubly difficult. Two on <laughs> two in the same day. And then we've opened a couple since in Osaka and Nagoya. And we had a pop-up in, in uh, Harajuku that we recently closed. It's really exciting because the tea shop was always supposed to just be one singular location in Los Angeles. We since have one in Brentwood, but you know, the expansion was gonna happen in Japan for the tea room, where tea is booming still like their coffee is kind of stagnant and tea is really taking off over there but it's been great for us because design wise feedback wise we're learning a lot there and so i'm able to kind of bring back a lot of those elements to not only tea shops here but the coffee shops in la so it's been really amazing and of course the japanese are immaculate in their design build execution so it's it's been a tremendous learning experience for our team here to have such fantastic operators and partners out there. Okay, so sticky question, but since you are a California brand and you've now gone international, how are you handling the no plastic problem? So the no plastic problem, I don't think there's a, unfortunately, a quick, easy solution to it, but it's a bunch of incremental moves that we're making and we're looking to make more in the future to get away from it. It's a it's an issue that's very personal to me as well. We are a plastic-free household and my new office is going to be plastic-free with 30 people in there, which is, you know, a feat in and of itself. But think steps we've taken at Alfred, we have the sippy lids now, which is of course more plastic, but kind of pushing people to not use straws as much uh, if possible. We sell and promote using reusable vessels and you get a discount there of about, I think 25 cents off uh, anytime you use it. So we really promote that kind of usage as well, but we're exploring new alternatives, lined paper cups instead of the cold cups. Problem is the concept of iced coffee drink in a paper cup is just really difficult. Um, I see what Blue Bottle has done recently and I I tried it out. They should be lauded for doing a lot of great things in that regard, but it's just not that simple. So we're taking steps to replace our plastic straws, not with paper, but we're working on a couple other alternatives. Can't do a paper straw. 
Paper straw is great in like a casual restaurant. Yeah. But in a coffee shop, again, we piloted it in a couple locations and it's always fighting one battle or the other. 100%. But I think as much as we can push people to use reusable materials, not use straws in general, and really just kind of aligning ourselves in, in, in different ways and, and figuring it out. Got some fun stuff planned in the future in that regard. And I think a lot of it has to do with doing things personally, you know, at the home and in the office where you can really control. And there's not so much the element of customer and customer feedback, which is usually split down the middle in this regard. So it's it's a bit tough to please everybody at the same time. But places where you can lay down the law, I think it's it's all of our responsibilities to do so and make it happen. So now that you've let the Alfred beast run wild, you launched Cali Dad last year. I did. Tell us a little bit about what Cali Dad is. Also, if you've been on Robertson driving north, right? And south. And south. Or you south. Have, yeah. you, you know what Cali Dad is. There is a massive mural of the Cali Dad logo and brand all in yellow on the walls of the adjacent buildings. Yep. So tell us about the brand. A couple of years ago, I lost my mind after opening one of the, the Beverly Hills Alfred location. And I told myself I will never open another Alfred again. I felt like I had, it was the pinnacle. It was like, um, I was born and raised Beverly Hills, opened in Beverly Hills, put a lot of effort into that location. And I was like, all right. Yeah, that Alfred was like is, iconic opening yeah, there. Like all, that I'm place like, Alfred has is, been there. I'm like, I've, I've accomplished whatever I wanted to accomplish with Alfred. Right. So I was like, all right, what is the next mission? I have a tea concept in Japan. I have Alfred and I just did the mother of all Alfreds in Beverly Hills. What do I do next? And I had been kind of toying with the idea of going into the ready to drink space for a while. Coffee is a little bit too crowded. There's a lot of great players in there from Stumptown to Pete's to a lot of local players. Tea, I don't think the world is ready for full fat milk tea yet in the cold case of the grocery store. So beer. Again, not a big beer guy per se, as I'm not a coffee or tea guy, but enjoy a great beer, enjoy a great Mexican beer, a lot of innovation on the beer front, but no one was really doing anything in the Mexican style beer space. The easy drinking, bring it to a barbecue, drink it poolside, whether you know, you're know you in Palm Springs or in Mexico. No one was really going after that. I think a lot of the innovation in beer was going uh, much more complex, heavier IPAs, hazy IPAs, strawberry milkshake IPAs, all these fun things, but nothing that the masses could really relate to. So I decided, you know what, I'm going to do the same Alfred style brand first approach to beer. Kind of, again, like I did with Alfred, let the idea out there a little bit to a few friends, got some feedback and it was mostly positive. Decided, you know what, I'm going to actually raise money for this this venture um, for the first time, which was kind of exciting and strange at the same time. I raised about $2 million um, to start a beer company in 2018. Good luck. And the concept was Calidad beer. Calidad means quality in Spanish. It is the most generic, basic, descriptive term to describe a beer. It's a quality beer, right? It's like saying ice cold beer. And the, the concept was we're going to create a Mexican style beer. It's not going to rely heavily on a, a cool name or a cool logo, but it's going to rely on a simple story, which is it's easygoing. It's made here in California, mostly California ingredients. And the, the goal was to go really in direct competition with the other Constellation brand stalwart Mexican beers, Corona, Modelo, Pacifico, on and on, but make it in California and add the lifestyle element to it from day one. So Calidad Beer, the name is very generic. The design, the goal was to create something that looks like it's been around for a long time. Like Josh went to Mexico and unearthed this brand from 50 years ago. Check that box, really authentic. And really what we built the, the brand around, which is what you see on Robertson, is the color. Acapulco Gold, we call it. It's a color rush. So the goal was whether you're you know, at a bar and you see the, the fridge behind the, the bartender, you see that color, the gold, 
or you're at like a BevMo and you see that little island of the end cap of all the gold elements, you're like, that's Calidad. The association of color with brand is very deep. And I think works really well in something like beer, where it's just like, it's beer. It's like top three ordinary, most everyday beverages along with coffee and tea. So put the concept together, brought some friends and family backing into it and found an amazing brewery in Santa Barbara. We launched last November and it's been a wild ride so far. We only have one type of beer, which is the classic four and a half percent ABV. And we've made a great impact in a little over a year. We are now in Whole Foods across Southern California. We're in Bristol Farms. We're at heavy hitting places that I love, like Philippe's, the original French dip in downtown LA. We're also at So House in downtown LA and Malibu, which is fun. Gracias Madre. We're at Disney California Adventure, which is amazing. It's the coolest thing ever, by the, the way. The it's coolest, the coolest thing I had you've to said say, on this I entire saved, episode. I saved, I saved it for last. I know. It's you also coolest. forgot Marvin. I can go on and on. So I know. all my friends out there who've given us a chance. But of course, even the brands that the places that I'm not friends with, which is even yeah. crazier because you know, here's this beer and they're, most places are replacing like Modelo with Calidad, which is amazing. It's been a wild, wild year so far. We have an awesome team and this year we're excited to continue expanding, expand our production, expand to new markets, Northern California coming soon, as well as Arizona, Nevada, Colorado, and perhaps Texas this year. And we're launching two new SKUs, one of which I'll tell you is going to be an Agua Fresca, which cool. is great. Um, right now it's it's looking to be Calidad with hibiscus, cucumber, and lime. So easygoing, right in time for the summer. And just keep that element of just a beer for the masses that's not so deeply entrenched in its story, but more the moments that you can enjoy it and, and really embracing those moments. I use the word embrace again. See? I'm addicted to the word. And did I hear you have another idea in the works? I am working on a fried chicken concept, which would debut here in West Hollywood if it actually does happen, which there's a probably a 99% chance of it happening. Wow. That's a really high chance. That's a really high chance. Yeah. There's only 1% that can go wrong. Totally. Um, thinking of a very simple fried chicken concept, two types of fried chicken, one a Southern style and one a Japanese style, and then curly fries because that's the best thing ever. That's it. And that's like takeout window vibe? Takeout window vibe. All right. No sandwiches, just tenders all day long. I mean, I order from Love Baked Wings like once a week, so I would- It's amazing. You know, I would be first in line for that yeah. place. And it's uh, right now it's called This or That. You wow. just order this or that. What yeah. do you want? This or that. Or those curly fries. So you'd be like, I have some of this and some of those. It's funny you ever went into real estate because you really are a brand marketing machine. It just comes to you in your sleep. I'm yeah. Convinced. Yeah. I mean, I'll find great people to like, we'll figure out like the actual elements of the food itself. It's fried chicken tenders. We can figure it out. But the concept I think would would do really well. And it's a really underserved market here. Yeah. Um, close, to, close to our operations and everything there. So to me, it's about innovation. It's like you're taking things that are pretty much every day, but it's... What's exactly. the brand around it? There you go. So there's things that people are already used to getting. So there's no education level, right? Coffee, tea, beer, let's say chicken. <laughs> Coffee, fried beer, chicken. tea, fried chicken. I mean, the, the, the educational element Curly fries. is a zero. Right. So let's just skip to everything else. Let's skip to location, vibe, flavor, lifestyle, much easier. There's no barrier to entry technically if you don't have that. Exactly. So 99% coming soon, hopefully. Yeah, yeah. So I want to pivot a little bit to talk about more personal things in your life. It's been really amazing to see you and a very special group of friends that you have who've all been raised in LA, but your closest friends have also started incredible businesses. And to me, I always find that the most interesting and inspiring to hear the little tidbits of advice and 
lessons learned through that. One of Josh's good friends started MeUndies. The other one started Sweetgreen. So I think that's always a really interesting thing to look at. Is there something specifically among you and your friends that has been a key takeaway while you guys have all been building your businesses together? I learn a lot from these friends of mine. Yeah. Whether or not they're publicly successful or privately successful or they just do what they do, it's great to have a, a solid group of entrepreneurial and hardworking friends. I think as most people get older, their circles become much smaller. And if you have respect for someone in, in regards to like how they handle themselves professionally also, I mean, it's just like, that's fantastic because I know how much time and effort I put into my business, you know, the hours that I'm at work and I'm killing myself. So if I know someone's doing that also and it's paying off and they're doing it for positive, you know, they're doing it the right way. It's really interesting to see my friend, John, there's two Johns, John started me undies. I lived in Dallas with him those three years that I was gone. And we started a blog together. And this is a 2008 before blogs were really cool. Josh so was a blogger. I was the original blogger. 2008 was insane. We had this blog together, hello.com with six O's. Very strange. I know. I thought you were O's. about to tell me that you own hello.com, like the wish, domain hello.com. No. Hello.com, <laughs> which I think it's since lapsed. So someone pick it up. So working with him and then when he ha- the way he started me undies, and I learned a lot from him about just having big ideas. And I'm pretty conservative and he's, pretty insane with his big ideas. So I think that's what really worked for us while we were doing the blog. He would just like have this crazy idea and I would figure out how to execute it and make it happen. So the yin and yang there worked really well between us. And I still learn a lot from him about just thinking big picture and destroying the day every day, not being timid. That's great. And then the other John started Sweet Green in our circle, I think, because their ascension has been so, it seems quick, but it's been a long time for them and a lot of learning, but always just a great resource for all of us to kind of lean into. Uh, in any regard. And one of the early pieces of advice that I got from him was just hang on to great people. Again, very simple concept, but like I was struggling with someone that I had who wanted a lot more money than I was able to offer them. And he's like, if they're good, keep them. And it didn't work out in that situation, of course, but everybody else on my team that is an all-star, it's just been surrounding myself with amazing people and making sure I make them happy, not necessarily only financially, but just create a, a great culture to keep those great people around me because they allow me to do so much, like open these locations, like start a beer company. You know, these are things that are impossible if I wasn't surrounded with such a great support group on the Alfred side and a great executive team. So it's been really nice. And and again, it goes to, you see these people's work ethic and the companies they've built. So when they give you a piece of advice, it's much more interesting than, you know, than somebody else that your parents are like, hey, go talk to this person. So last year, Kawhi Leonard didn't sign to the Lakers. As we know, Josh is a huge Lakers fan and... Josh put something out saying that he wasn't allowed to go to Alfred locations out of his loyalty to the Lakers, which I totally understand, by the way. And I defend you on that. But I do think that there must have been an interesting learning there as an entrepreneur and as someone who owns your company of like separating your private opinions from your business. Yes. What was the key learning in that experience? Um, The key learning, just to cut to the learning chase, was to quote Spider-Man, with great power comes great responsibility. Totally. And- not to say I'm the most powerful person, not even close to anything, but Alfred has a voice. Alfred has great power in that it affects a lot of people's lives every day. And whether it's social media or in person, it's definitely a platform. So with that comes great responsibility, right? So when I took my personal opinions and sports fanaticism about being a huge Lakers fan and feeling huge. slighted by Kawhi Leonard, who led us on and then decided to sign with the rival team and take someone else who slighted us last summer, along with him to the rival Clippers. There's an element of fandom and letdown that comes with that. So it's fine for me to mention it to my friends or on my platforms, but crossing the line and bringing it to Alfred, 
whole different ballgame because now I'm affecting my employees' lives, not lives, but I mean, they're, you know, they get bothered with things in the cafes right. and the social media. And it's just, it's, it's not fair to do that, you know? And I'm not the kind of person who's outspoken enough to be like, you know, Alfred is me. This is it. You like it or you leave. It's it's not my nature. And offers a place for the community. So sports can get kind of heated. I'm a huge sports fan. I love it. I love the Lakers forever. So just learning about that, like not crossing that line is really important. Totally. Um, and it was something that was kind of blown out of proportion. Of course, anytime you gain notoriety for saying something that's negative, like the Clippers are banned from Alfred locations, is not that great. If it was like, hey, Kawhi, if you come to Lakers, free coffee for life, superb happy. Switch em- the narrative. Embracing. Embracing. Switch the narrative, not yeah. make it for negative things. So right. I definitely learned my lesson in that regard to not cross that line. And I like to say for New Year's, I was at a restaurant wearing a Lakers hat and majority of the Clippers team, including Paul George, were sitting right across from me and I was wearing my Clippers hat and we all got along great. You're wearing your Lakers and, hat. And if, if he would have said what up to me, I would have been like, hey, Paul, you're the man. And I would have been Doting on the whole team because I'm a huge closer. sports fan. Mm-hmm. I'm a huge sports fan. You never know what's going to come come around in a couple of years. That might be Lakers. You never know. But yeah, it's all love blown out of proportion, of course. And, you know, in the future, just keep my mouth shut. It's sure. been amazing to hear your story. And I'm so excited for people to be able to listen to this. But I do have one last question. What's one tip that you have for anybody that wants to build a brand first company? Just do it. <laughs> Really, don't just, drag your feet for a year. Don't drag your feet for a year. Don't ask too many questions. If you actually trust yourself, and you can probably answer that question, if you actually trust yourself, just do it. The worst thing would be having regret. Maybe you move. Maybe you have kid. I mean, maybe something happens and it's just your life circumstances change. So if you have that opportunity at the time, don't get too bogged down on the details because you never can figure out all 100% things at the same time. It's just things are going to come your way. So like the problem you think you have might be nothing in comparison to the problem comes when you launch, but you just got to figure it out and just just move forward. Um, indecision is is very, very difficult. You have to actually have a good idea and you have to actually trust yourself, make it happen. If it doesn't work out, you never know, you'll figure out something else that's based on what you learned from your first experience. So don't be like me. Don't take forever to open a coffee shop, but it worked out great. So it did work out great. Thank you so much for coming on. If you're in California or Japan or Austin, please visit an Alfred, get some coffee, tea, whatever it is, and have a good day. And check out our new website, alfred.la. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of Friend of a Friend. Before you go, make sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and at dearmedia.com. And for more behind the scenes of the show, visit us at friendofafriend.us and follow me at Liv Perez on Instagram. Don't forget the two Vs. See you next week.